Hey everybody, welcome back to the Matt Report Podcast Season 8, all about that change of WordPress, and I, I think we're, we're well into it now, into Season 8 and the change of WordPress and how a lot of the market is shifting into the services and the plugin space. And one of the things I've always been interested in is just learning how other startup industries perceive WordPress. What kind of advice could they offer to us and give us insights into what they do in their industry to you know, control some of the, the chaos of shifting markets and shifting software. And this episode is going to be slightly different because I had some audio issues on my side. You know, I've been doing this for so long, I keep forgetting how to set up my microphone properly. So I'm going to edit this uh, episode slightly different than most. So of course, bear with us. But I've brought on the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to uh, on the regular, and that is Rogue Startups, uh, with your co-host Dave Rodenbaugh and Craig Hewitt. Welcome to the Rogue Startups podcast, where two startup founders are sharing lessons learned and pitfalls to avoid in their online businesses. And now, here's Dave and Craig. You know, when people ask me, how do you right, get guests on the podcast? Yeah, can I apply to be a guest on the podcast? What's the criteria? That kind of thing. It is always just a gut feel, a gut instinct from my side to just listen to the market or markets and see what would have an impact on my audience's businesses, right? Be it either a service business or a product business. And as I expand the scope of the Matt Report, it's very important that I'm getting more startups, more software-based businesses, or some form of digital business into the repertoire of uh, the Matt Report Airwaves. And Craig and Dave have been these two guys that are, have been long in the micro comfy, if that's a thing I could say, like that small bootstrap uh, startup uh, scene, right? Much like WordCamps is like this. There's always all of these, these people that you always hear and see going to WordCamps. I feel it's quite similar in the bootstrapped uh, startup space and so many of my other friends of the show, like Brian Castle, Jordan Gall um, of Bootstrap Web, like they're in it, uh, Justin Jackson. There's so many different people that dip their toes in and out of the WordPress space that live, you know, like a double life in the microconf world. So I had Craig and Dave on today to just give me those insights of how do you compare and contrast like the WordCamp space to the microconf space and what kind of lessons can we pull from that? And I would say that the 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 vibe is definitely different. I mean, the vibe of um, WordCamp was very, very, very um, like altruistic, right? Like everyone is there just to make the world better with WordPress, and that's awesome, right? Because that's I think uh, I I will try not to get into the politics of WordPress <laughs> too much here because I think it's uh, I I honestly don't know enough. No, I I. Uh, and this is where Dave and I, this is where Dave and I differ. I think uh, Matt, we were talking about this before we started recording about like how Dave and I's experience and kind of like what our depth of knowledge or whatever in WordPress differs. Is I just came to WordPress two years ago, two and a half years ago, with acquiring. We bought the Seriously Simple Podcasting plugin from Hugh Lashbrook, who wrote it and ran it for years. Um, and so we bought the plugin, then built the Castos hosting platform on top of it. So I don't really have like a background in WordPress before two and a half years ago. Um, and so I go to a place like WordCamp and I see this like, yeah, altruistic, charitable type of, uh, of kind of air to everything. And it, it is really different, uh, and was a little, uh, I don't know, odd to me to see like 
a bunch of huge corporate sponsors, you know, WP Engine and all these people there, these huge businesses that run on WordPress or WordPress is the core of their business. Um, and, and I guess for us, that's kind of the same thing. We're not WP Engine with, you know, $100 million in the bank or whatever. Uh, we're, we're a small but growing company, but um, that's kind of, I guess, where I, how I see the differences. I mean, yeah, you go to MicroConf and you want to like talk about growing your business and, and, you know, how to run a big business. I think WordCamp should be, and for me has been uh, all about like how to make this publishing platform for everyone to use. And it really is like as neutral as possible. I've noticed that there's really like three groups of attendees that mostly come to the WordCamp style thing or Prestonics. And it's kind of split and each one is going to be a little bit different. Like if you go to WordCamp US, I think there's a heavier weighting uh, towards a couple of these groups and smaller than another. But there's like one group of like those that are just WordPress community devotees. Maybe they're volunteers in the open source movement. Maybe they're, you know, doing local WordCamps or whatever, but they're like, they're just general supporters of WordPress. Maybe they're developers, maybe they're not. Uh, maybe volunteers, something like that. Then there's like a group of people that are like agencies. And they're the ones that use WordPress for a living, but they have it from a consumer slash developer standpoint combined. And mostly they're about trying to go out and create new sites and get customers that want to build larger sites. And maybe they're woo specific, maybe they're something else, but there's that crowd. Um, and then I think there's a third, and this is the smallest crowd, and it's the one that I probably fit in the most. And that is, these are like the theme and plugin developers themselves, the ones that are trying to make a product and sell it most likely in the WordPress world. And when you go to someplace like Pressnomics, then it becomes a little more heavily weighted toward the developer side, which then pushes more of a business perspective because Pressnomics is all about the, the business of WordPress. I think that's the actual tagline. Five Pressnomics have all said this. And WordCamp doesn't really have that business focus. It's, it's a mixture of things. And the talks really reflect that. So if you're going there with a with the intent of trying to get business stuff out of WordPress, I think you'll end up being a little disappointed because there might be one or two of those kind of talks at a general WordCamp. And I've seen this in, even in the WordCamps that I've not attended in my local area here in Denver. There's a couple that kind of focus on that. And then there's a lot of stuff with community. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, maybe that's just hardcore developer stuff where you're learning like React in WordPress or something like that. So that appeals to the agency groups. But if you want strictly business, that's where microconf comes in. You know, everybody that's going to microconf is all talking about what is it that you're trying to do? How are you getting product market fit? What's your audience like? You know, churn considerations. How are you dealing with customer support? Like all the nitty gritty details. So I think that they fill very different needs. And like you said, Matt, that there is some crossover, but it's not... It's, if you're looking at that Venn diagram, those two circles are not on top of each other. You know, they're, they're also not touching either. They're, there's a little bit of overlap, and it's probably debatable to say how much is actually there. But that's kind of what I see, and that's been my experience. So let's get back to that WordPress double life where folks like Dave and Craig, they live in 
WordPress to a degree, but they've also got this, this SaaS-based mindset, which is what we're going to start to talk about in a minute, how they think about approaching WordPress business, which is actually one of the key takeaways from today's conversation. I acquired Business Directory plugin from another developer back in 2012. And I was also going to microcomps, so I've been to nine of them. 2012 was like my second or third one by that time. And the one thing that I really noticed at the time, and I think this is still true, is that WordPress plugin-based businesses could really heavily borrow from the SaaS world because in many ways we were behind on those marketing techniques. So for example, I introduced email marketing into my plugin, and at the time, there were hardly any people doing it. And so I ended up building like a list of 32,000 contacts over the years just from Business Directory plugin, coming to my website, signing up, getting a little free, what's it to listen to my five-day course on building a directory. And at the end of it, you pitch your product. And that actually worked pretty well for building up a business. In SaaS, they had already been doing this for a while. And by the time I implemented it, I think it was 2014, it was still so brand new in the plugin world that it was really, really, really effective because it just, it actually made you stand out. So I think that that's one distinction between the plugin and the SaaS world. It kind of feels like we're lagging on a, a lot of techniques because there's this insulation layer, I guess, that kind of exists in the plugin world. There's a different set of politics that are going on. You know, you have to comply with the the wp.org standards whereas with SAS, it's anything goes it's whatever you're doing out there if you want to do some questionable great hat technique technique and something go for it you can do it no problem nobody's gonna stop you your customers may hate you for it but okay fine you're still okay to use it there's a very distinct set of things that you are allowed and not allowed to do because of the gatekeepers at .org I'll say like a WordPress-based business that we have with Seriously Simple Podcasting and the Castos hosting platform that's a SaaS model, like a monthly recurring subscription, is the the WordPress aspect of it, the free plugin and .org, and it's the same for Dave, I know, is makes it a freemium model, right? So you give away a part of your thing for free, which is what freemium is, and then you have an optional paid add-on that people can upgrade to. Um so, so like the, the saying, like in the SaaS world is freemium is not a pricing strategy, it's a customer acquisition strategy. And so I think for, for businesses that use a WordPress plugin or theme as their customer acquisition strategy, uh, it's really fantastic. <laughs> I'll tell you, like, uh, if I was starting from scratch today, and I wanted to get into a business, maybe the absolute best way to do it would be to go do exactly what I did, which is totally just in hindsight, I got lucky as hell uh, to acquire. And I think Dave probably would say the same thing that like acquire a plugin that has a good track record and has a bunch of installs, and then you can add an optional paid add on to it. It solves like the hardest part of a lot of business, which is marketing and getting a good marketing channel. Um, because you have all of these eyeballs that are using this thing every day, and it's free and you can say, Hey, by the way, we have this thing over here that is, you know, really valuable and you have to pay a couple bucks a month for it. Uh, and a certain percentage of people kind of op opt into that. Um, I think also Dave would agree that for his recapture and for my sales camp app that are totally separate of WordPress, um, creating that marketing channel and strategy essentially from scratch is really, really hard. Um, and you have to 
find that channel or create that channel. Um, and it's a total uphill battle. Uh, so the, for me, the trade-off of the increased development time and support and workload and a little bit of worry of having like a freemium product and in WordPress.org and reviews and users that expect a lot out of our free tool that we spend a lot of time and effort and resources and money on um, is worth it and is our responsibility for you know the the opportunity that it gives our business. Um, but and I'll say one last thing because it's like a long rant, but I, I think that you absolutely have to have corporations in an ecosystem like WordPress um, because uh, an open source community that's just benevolent and people you know donating their time as developers um, is almost never going to be enough to make something like WordPress what it is. Um, and people might disagree with me there, but I think like if you look at like the Apple App Store, like you have to have people with deep pockets like WP Engine to provide the quality of tools of the some of these things that are out there because uh, a developer in his basement is never going to be able to provide the kind of tools that that companies can um, you know, if they participate in you know, within the rules and all that kind of stuff of, of an open source community like WordPress. So I think it's super important. Obviously, there have to be rules around it, but I think if you don't have it and people say, you know, paid tools shouldn't exist in WordPress or something like that, I think that's that would make it really different. Yeah. I want, I want to just say something about the acquisition channels there because when you were talking about that, it made me think of something that is a very obvious difference between WordPress and the SaaS world. And that is with WordPress, if you get into the repo, you basically have a really easy customer acquisition channel. Assuming that, you know, you do the usual stuff, SEO optimize your page, make sure that there's lots of installs, happy reviews, all of that good stuff. But once you do that, you basically are getting a stream of customers for free. It's very similar to the Shopify App Store, the Magento Marketplace, or any one of a variety of other similar areas. That said, I think what you said about about the ceiling existing in WordPress, Matt, is very, very poignant and important. Because in SaaS, while you don't get the magic customer acquisition channel necessarily, you do have more channels available to experiment. I've tried lots of different things in WordPress and still the number one most effective, least expensive one is always .org acquisition. Everything else, if you're doing paid acquisition, it's not as effective. The cost is higher. The conversion is lower. Even if you're trying to do like AdWords or uh, Facebook ads or other things like that, I mean, I, I hear stories about other people using it, but I can't imagine that their acquisition on those channels is nearly as lucrative or as viable as what they're getting from .org installs. And it's at this point where I find myself stuck at this crossroad between organic business building through, you know, branding and, and content and awareness and interaction and networking and all that stuff, you know, the digital handshake stuff that I talk about so often on my YouTube channel and the more strategic business building through, you know, paid channels, SEO, uh, promotions and advertisements and that kind of thing. And that's really where I turn this conversation to Craig and Dave and ask them about how they identify with their businesses with their own personal brands. Yeah, I think that I think that both are really important. Uh, I think that especially as you're beginning, probably the 
the easiest way to get anything started is with your existing kind of network of friends and colleagues and stuff like that. And obviously being kind of genuine and, and open with them is the, the best way to go. Um, I think that people who build businesses just on a personal brand um, probably get really tired of, of always having to be on Twitter and always kind of banging the drum. Um, but there's also absolutely a cap to where they can go, I think. So, you know, some of these people that have these huge personal brands can build really solid businesses, but the the chance of only a personal branding uh, kind of helping them grow their business to seven figures or something like that is is maybe smaller than really figuring out a marketing channel and optimizing it and and you know pounding pounding that nail. Um, so I, I think it's important. I think you know I saw on Twitter uh, the other day like I would never buy from a, a company that didn't have uh, like an about us page or pictures of of the team on it. Uh, and and I looked at myself and said. Oh wow, we don't <laughs> we don't have that for, for one of my businesses. Let's go build let's go build that page real quick. But yeah, I mean we we try to be especially in like customer support and stuff. Uh we try to have quite a bit of personality because it's important and it differentiates you and these days like here in, you know, getting to the middle of 2019, uh people knowing that you're a human being and that you give a can I cuss? Give give a hoot. Uh <laughs> This isn't our show, you Greg. Know, you about, can't do about that. them and that they that they that you give a crap is uh is like a huge differentiator so yeah i think i think personality and and being authentic is is super important but i think it's probably not you know if you're looking to build a huge business probably not going to get you there entirely i'm going to disagree on this one (laughs) all right okay Oh, hold on. I got Gary Vaynerchuk on the phone. He's going oh, to join God. me. Okay. All right. That, no, now this all just went to hell. <laughs> okay. There you go. No. So <laughs> I think if you look at a series of SaaS businesses, so I, I did a quick check of Pip Digg's Twitter stream right there. And you're right. It's a very bland, um, lacking personality, lacking any sort of anything behind the business. And I think I think that you can fake it for a while and you can do that. But if I look at all the successful businesses that I am aware of in SaaS and even in WordPress, they actually have a stronger personality that's associated to them. And I think that personality lends some credibility, it lends some honesty, and it just lends interest, right? So let's talk about some examples in SaaS. So you've got like Groove, the customer support, Help Scout, another customer support. Uh, Meet Edgar, uh, Laura Roeder's company there. Uh, you could talk about lead pages with Clay Collins. You could talk about Drip with Rob Walling. I mean, I could probably sit here and rattle off another six or seven. Uh, write message with Brennan Dunn. All of these have that personality that kind of drives the business itself. And I think because it's personal, because you can relate to them and because they're talking about it and because you can see them as another human being and that you have a relationship to them, whether it's on the About Us page and you're a customer of the product or you actually meet them at a conference and you talk to them and you're like, hey, this is a pretty cool person here. I actually like hanging out with them. They're, I Maybe I want to do business with them versus the totally nameless, faceless company. And I've seen lots of these SaaSes and I've never seen one of them really succeed. Like I don't, I can't name off the top of my head a SaaS where I don't know who it is that's behind it. Maybe it's a team, maybe it's a person, but the successful ones that I'm aware of are not like that. 
And I've seen lots of copycats and Me Too businesses and things like that. And I think there's a fear if we put our pictures on here, then we're associated with this and then people are going to talk to us and, and maybe they might yell at us and maybe they'll get angry. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't understand that fear. All of my businesses, we are up on every single one of those. It's me. It's my staff. Anybody who's co-founded or associated to it, we're, our pictures are on the sites. I, I subscribe to that philosophy wholeheartedly that I think people want to do business with other people, not some nameless, faceless business. So I think that you may run into a, a cap of growth, like Drip certainly could not grow beyond where Rob had it before Lead Pages acquired it. So he had kind of taken it to the limits of where he could go with it and where his personality and his brand took it. But, you know, there's a consequence to, to disconnecting that. And I think we're seeing that now with the people that are unhappy with how Lead Pages has handled customer support and their scaling and some other issues that have all been uh, blatantly revealed on Twitter, shall I say. And as we progressed the conversation, we really started to get into going from personal brand and, and branding a business into transparency and being clear with one organization's vision to, to grow a business. And you have to remember the time we recorded this, this was this whole jetpack uh, putting their add-ons at the top of search results, really forcing people into the monetization of the different features of Jetpack and the whole pigged-in debacle of exploiting users through bad code and malicious code. And that really started to get us into talking about, well, what if WordPress.org introduced like a real marketplace, almost like an iTunes app store that really brought us into some critical thinking around the WordPress ecosystem and, and how folks get access to plugins? I think that like, so we all live and probably everybody that lives to this podcast, listens to the podcast, lives in this really weird world of like people who like WordPress and online business and all this kind of stuff. And when uh, a product like Drip or Elementor or whatever, uh, it gets big and changes their focus and gets acquired and you're not the customer that they are most concerned about anymore. We kind of say well, shit, I'm not special. Like what, what, what happened? Like I used to be their favorite customer or, you know, my little world used to be the place that they lived. And now they realize that, you know, the money is over here and they're a big business that have shareholders and that they're responsible to. And I think that's probably why we feel like this. I mean, the, the product changing and all that kind of stuff is, uh, is definitely part of it, but, but kind of the positioning and, and branding and stuff around some of that is just like, Serving small entrepreneurs and, and micro businesses is not where most businesses want to go, right? They want to go up market. And that's what happens with all these people is they get successful. They saturate the world we live in probably. Uh, and then they say, let's go to enterprise. Um, and that's just kind of natural, I think. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And, you know, what that does in the long run here is that it actually provides opportunity for new entrants into the market. So as everybody starts moving up uh, up the market here, so like Zendesk pushed up the customer support market and then that gave room for Help Scout and Groove and others to come in behind them and compete against them, Freshdesk. And eventually they're gonna push up into the stratosphere as well and then that's gonna allow new competitors to come in there and, and do the same. I don't know how this really works in WordPress per se, because I just don't think we've seen, we haven't had enough time for these acquisitions to pan out. I mean, we've seen a lot more of this in SaaS, because SaaS has been around since 
you know, 2003 with Basecamp, right? So we're talking 14 years of SaaS at this point. But WordPress businesses are just now maturing to where we're seeing the studio presses and the, the page leads that are big enough to actually go out and acquire somebody else. Or WP Engine is now at a size where they can suck in other companies. And we just don't have enough evidence yet to know that that's going to be the exact same case. However, if I was a betting man, and I am pretty conservative when it comes to betting, <laughs> it is most likely, in my opinion, going to play out in a very similar way. I think there's going to be some that continue to serve the way that they've always served because their parent company has a similar set of values, and it will just continue to play out the way that they originally played it out, maybe in a bigger, but they'll also keep the lower. But I think by and large, they're going to all try to move up market because that's where your growth is. And if you're a company trying to grow, you're not going to do it sitting there trying to cannibalize a small SMB market where people are more price sensitive and the contract size is smaller and your LTV is lower and, and the churn is higher, just all of these things. I, I think it's also a different comparison that we're talking about because the, the iOS or the Apple Store, uh, the App Store takes a percentage of revenue from sales there, right? Uh, WordPress.org does not take any money from us as plugin owners. Uh, so I think, well, uh, yeah, but but no. So, and maybe that's because I think, Matt, what you're talking about is like, you know, the folks at Automatic maybe want to build this totally uh, smooth as butter experience like the iOS world has. And, and to do that, they need to control the entire thing, right? But that's Squarespace, right? That's not WordPress. Um, so maybe the answer is instead of them trying to control all of it with their own tools is to profit share with people in the, in WordPress to increase their revenue and have more manpower behind developing things. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of popping into my head, but I mean, if they just need more resources, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the WordPress world that would for more visibility and more installs and all this kind of stuff would profit share like the folks in iOS world do. Well, I think that if you're going to if you're going to go that direction, you got to start with somebody at the top being able to embrace the fact that business is not evil. And it feels like Matt has always sort of had that philosophy about it. Like we don't want to monetize WordPress. We're this democratic platform that's beautifying the internet and we're making people better people and you know that's fine, and I don't have a problem with that. It's just if you're trying to create a platform that wants to take over building websites for people on a day-to-day -day basis, I think you have to go that direction because it's clear from other examples that we've seen out there. Shopify Marketplace is the perfect example. They take 20%. If you want to be in the Shopify App Store, that's, that's your tax. It's a great channel. They have specific guidelines in there. You follow the guidelines, you get in there, you get it ranked for search terms, you get people installing your app. If you're providing good support, if you provide a good service, people will pay you for it. It seems like a fair trade. Like if you put those kind of constraints on a .org that is willing to embrace business, I think they could see some serious growth and be able to fund what they want to do instead of, you know, sucking it in through WordPress.com, which is fine for VIP hosting, but it just seems like there's this 
two-faced approach, especially with this whole jetpack drama that's going on. Like, we'll embrace business, but only for automatic approved stuff. And then the rest of you poor schmucks down here, you get nothing. Hey, if you look at the like the the public filings of both Shopify and Apple, the I know for Apple specifically, the majority of their revenue comes from the App Store. It's not from selling iPhones and stuff like that. The amount of money they make from Angry Birds and all these crazy things is astonishing. And so I, mean, I think, you know, the folks, whatever WordPress.com or Automatic or whatever, could look at say, okay, what if we spun all these little parts of Jetpack off? opened the marketplace to make it paid. They had to participate as well, right? You know, in the in the paid marketplace, you would see the resources come into WordPress that would boggle our minds, I think. You know, these big talking about the difference between SaaS and WordPress. It would make the difference really small. And so you would get these big huge businesses coming in and saying, you know, we're going to build whatever you know, a totally incredible, seamless experience from top to bottom uh, so that anyone can make a website. Uh, because right as it is right now, we, you know, the three of us kind of enjoy the bit of fragmented experience and, and kind of freemium model that it is. But if it's a truly profit first paid experience, then the the mechanics and the, the dollars and cents and the path to building a business is a lot simpler, I think. Well, I hope the information so far has been super helpful for that outside perspective, while both Dave and Craig have WordPress businesses, I found it pretty healthy to get that outsider's perspective with a just a just touch of understanding what it's like to be in the WordPress ecosystem. But before we let them go, certainly we have to ask them what their biggest challenges are. Yeah, I mean, I think across all of my businesses, and I have three of them, unfortunately, uh, is is like this very like polarizing split of people coming in and absolutely loving everything we do, which is fortunately about half of the people come in and say, this is like the best thing ever. I can't imagine life without it. And the rest of them saying, this is the biggest steaming pile of crap I've ever seen. And, and like, I look at it and say, yeah, okay, yeah, there's like a, a, an edge here we can fix, or there's this feature or, you know, additional piece of functionality over there that, that I understand some people want. But really understanding like can we get it close to people just all everyone being okay with it maybe or something like it just boggles my mind that we've been hard at work for this for two years and some people just hate it and it just blows my mind because the vast majority of people come in and say well this is great or it's just not for me i understand what it does and that's just not exactly what i'm looking for but to understand and, and try to get rid of as much of the people that come in and say I can't believe that you exist uh, is is my goal because it's really hard. I mean, it's really like emotionally hard to to get that for all of us, for the developers and me and support and everybody to say like, damn it, we work really hard and I can't believe that exists. <laughs> uh, so I think my biggest challenge in 2019 here is differentiation. So I, with my, with my SaaS recapture, which does abandoned cart recovery, on a variety of e-commerce platforms, we are very much a, we look a lot like the other competitors in many ways. And it's a difficult space to really make yourself look different than everybody else. Because if you try to go for a race to features, people just catch up to that eventually. It's not, it's not a competitive advantage that lasts. So it's a lot of trying to find spaces where competitors aren't 
and it's a lot of trying to figure out what do you do that competitors won't and then to be whatever that is so that you're meeting customer needs. Recapture just launched into WordPress so now I can actually leverage my huge list from all these years of business directory and uh, AWPCP and try to pitch another product to them and it has to do with WooCommerce and EDD to be able to recover abandoned carts for them which a lot of people do. Um, admittedly those are smaller markets than some other places I could go and it isn't always necessarily true that those are going to be like the best customers. I mean, WordPress, if I were to take a wild guess based on what I know from my experience with Business Directory plugin, the LTV of my WooCommerce customers on WordPress is likely going to be lower than what I'm seeing on Shopify, which is lower than what I'm seeing on Magento. It just has to do with which segment of the space that they're in. So just trying to differentiate for all of these different markets and then develop a channel that really taps into that market is, it, you know, that's going to be a huge challenge for me this year. All right, guys, lots of information here for my audience. Thanks so much for Craig and Dave for sharing all of their awesome insights on the show. Gentlemen, where can they find you on the web to say thanks? Yeah, probably the easiest place is on Twitter. So I'm the Craig Hewitt on Twitter. Uh, if you want to check out Castos, it's castos.com. And for me, if you're interested in connecting, uh, I'm Dave Rodenbaugh on Twitter, R-O-D-E-N-B-A-U-G-H. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. And if you're looking for abandoned cart recovery on WordPress, we do that at recapture.io. So I've learned a ton from Craig and Dave in today's discussion. I hope you learned a lot too. Go ahead and say thanks to them. Listen to their podcast over at roguestartups.com. And if you have a moment, as season eight winds down, if you found you've gotten some good information from the show this season, leave me a five-star review on iTunes. That would be amazing. You can go to matreport.com slash subscribe. The link to the iTunes is there. If you're on your mobile device, just scroll down at the bottom of the iTunes player and hit the five stars or even type in a review if that's of interest to you. Also, if this is of interest to you, if you have a marketing site, if you have a new product, you have a new plugin, a new theme that you're launching, and you want to get some feedback, go to userfeedbackvideos.com, and I'll record a personalized video giving you the feedback of your landing page, of your copy, of a feature of your plugin, your whole plugin. It all depends on what you need. Go to userfeedbackvideos.com, and I'll record that video for you. It's like having a co-founder starting off at 59 bucks. We'll see you in the next episode.